Let's pray, and we're going to get into John chapter 14 this morning. We'll be picking up in our journey through John's biological, theological, historical biography of this great man, Jesus of Nazareth. Father, as we get into our text today, Holy Spirit, come. These are just nothing but words on a page. If your spirit doesn't come and commune with us, These are just songs sung into the air if our spirit doesn't engage with your Holy Spirit. I am praying and asking that not a single one of us would be left untouched, but that there would be awakening today. That you would take us one step further towards who we truly are in you. And Jesus, that your love would be so manifest in this place that we would love one another so well that the world would look on and say, these are what disciples of Jesus look like. Wise and prudent, self-sacrificial, committed, covenanted one unto another in and under the new covenant of Jesus. And so fill us now with your Holy Spirit and guide us in Jesus' name, amen. So last summer, uh, I got lost. First time I've ever been like this lost in my entire life. And I'm not talking about like, Google lady sent me to the wrong place because I mistyped a number and the address lost. I'm talking about full on, I do not know where I am and I do not know how to get out of where I am right now. And it was a little bit terrifying. I had been on a five day solo backpacking trip instead of going to a monastery because they were all closed. My wife and I decided I'd go solo backpacking, which I grew up doing. So I flew back to Idaho and I was deep. I did a big like 35 mile loop into the Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho. And on my way out, um, because I'm not a Boy Scout, my phone died. I didn't have a compass. I didn't have any maps. I was tired. I was hungry. I wanted to get out of those mountains. I was actually tired of being up there. I'd been rained on every single night. So I'm just booking it out of those hills. And somehow on these big loops, you have to pick up these connection trails. And somehow on my way out, I had tucked my backpacking hat down low, and I was just booking out of there. I missed my connection loop the connecting trail that would take me back to the trailhead where I started. And so I'm booking out and I get out into the flats, the sawtooths, they run out into these big flat areas and everything looks the same once you get out into the flats. And I, I get to this lake and I'm looking at this lake and I'm like, this doesn't look like the lake where I started. Where, what, what is happening right now? What is going on? And I, I, I realized like, wait a second, I don't know where I am. Now, the Sawtooth Mountains are huge. I mean, it is a vast, remote wilderness. And I was like, okay, hold on, calm down. I knew I didn't have a compass. I knew the general direction I needed to go. I tried to go west, and there ended up being like this miry bog. If you've never been trapped in an alpine bog, it's terrifying. And I tried to go east up this ridge, and it was just this massive, like, thorn-infested ridge. I thought, okay, I'm just going to truck my way out of here. I had a 10-mile ruck to get back to where I had originally started that day, and I only had about two hours of sunlight left. Now, I got to tell you, I've never felt this. I've never felt this in my life. The impulse, when you suddenly realize, I don't know where I am, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, and I don't know how to get home, the impulse to just run, (laughs) like to just freak out and run. Whichever direction you can run to is so strong. And so thankfully, I like took a few deep breaths, and I calmed down, and I kind of figured, okay, I've got enough kit to last me at least another day. I can pack tonight. I can figure my way out of here tomorrow. And just as I was kind of getting ready to break out my gear and start setting up camp for the night, I heard way off in the distance like these four-wheelers. And I mean, they they sounded like they were a million miles away. But as I was like looking around trying to, you know, you're like freaking out, you're like, where are those four-wheelers? Oh my gosh, there's people out here somewhere. 
I like looked up on the ridge and I could see like way up on the ridge, like the remnants of this old kind of logging road, which are really common in the in the forests of Idaho. <laughs> I was like, I hope, oh please God, tell me that those four wheelers are on that old road. And I just took off like Jason Bourne, dude. I was like booking it as fast as I could up with all my gear up onto that road. And then I just took off running. And man, I just sprinted as fast as I could, as long as I could. And thankfully, I bumped into them. It was like these, it was a family of four, this father and his wife, and then two little kids on their little four wheelers. And they had gotten way back in there on this, on this road. And they just see me come running around the corner like a maniac, flagging them down. I got them flagged down, explained my situation, and ended up getting back to civilization by hitchhiking a ride with him back to uh, the freeway where I discovered I was actually 10 miles south, which in hiking terms is quite a distance. I was 10 miles south of my original destination where I was supposed to be. Absolutely terrifying. I cannot tell you if the impulse to panic and just run crazy when you're lost. I cannot tell you, I cannot describe how good it feels to come around the corner and see the lake that you're supposed to be at and see your car and realize, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be sleeping in the dirt tonight. I'm gonna go have a hot hamburger. I'm gonna be in a bed tonight. It is so utterly relieving. <laughs> lost, lost. This is the state of humanity according to the biblical authors. And so ever since the fall, we humans living east of Eden, we have been on a full panicked sprint from the day we are born, trying to find our way back home by any means possible. Salvation is being found and brought home. Jesus said as much, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As we've been journeying through John's gospel, which is this sophisticated piece of ancient literature with layers of meaning and beautiful structure, so much impact in this document, John has been masterfully following the character arc of specific humans chosen by Jesus who were going from being completely lost to being found. They were being saved. And the stories of the disciples throughout the Gospel of John, they are in parallel our stories. Every human will follow the same general pattern of going from lost to found, starting with the moment that we realize we're lost. Does everybody recognize that the most dangerous situation, the worst situation you can be in, is to be lost and not even realize that you're lost? And that really is where we are collectively right now as a society. Kyle Bashir in his new book, Apathyism, How to Share When They Don't Care. That's a cheesy title. I don't know why he named it that. Apathy, apathyism, How to Share When They Don't Care. Bashir, he essentially argues that the greatest threat facing the church in our generation, it's not political pressure. It's not antagonistic legislation. I'm sure we're all hearing the news feeds and getting all our feathers ruffled up about these things. Bashir would say, it's not atheism, the belief that there is no God that threatens the church. And it's not agnosticism, the belief that God can't be known that threatens the church. It's apathyism. It's this spiritual apathy. This kind of like God, meh, whatever tone that our society lives in. We should realize, I hope, 
despite what the talking heads and the political pundits and all of the podcasters say is they get our feathers all ruffled up, our neighbors, our coworkers, the average Joes and Jills that we live our lives with, they really are not secretly committed to politically and socially oppressing the church. They're not waking up thinking about how to do that. For the most part, most of our coworkers, neighbors, and friends are like, the church? Meh, whatever. God? Meh, whatever. I got better things to do. And Bashir would say, that's the greatest threat facing the church today. We are, as philosopher Charles Taylor puts it, utterly comfortable with the eminent, that is what's in front of us right now, and utterly unconcerned by the transcendent. We don't care what's after. We don't care what's out there. And our vast levels of affluence and general comforts, societally, we have been deluded into believing that all is well. I must say, in reflection, one of the greatest things to come from the SARS-CoV-2 virus has been this resurgence of kind of a collective existential angst. The existential questions have been raised again as we have globally been confronted with our fragility and our mortality by this little invisible virus that shut down the world. The moment that a human realizes we are not infinite and we are not in control, that is a moment of clarity. That is a moment of awakening. We are awakened out of these sort of comfortable delusions of indestructibility. And in every sense of the word, we come to grips with the fact that we are lost. <laughs> we don't know how to get out of this situation. We are in big trouble. And that is actually a blessing to the human soul. To come to know that you are lost is a beautiful part of salvation. Now, in a world that is filled with lost people, there's no shortage of voices saying, you know what, I figured it out. This is the way to home. Just last week, I couldn't believe this. I get a weekly or I get a daily report from the New York Times. Just last week, this, this journalist, he posted, the, the headline of the article was, How Politics Saves Lives. How Politics Saves Lives. And in this, the reporter went on to declare that politics is, quote, the most powerful mechanism for human progress. <laughs> and so you have the New York Times, far left, or whether it's the far right and the Trump phenomena that we've all been enjoying over these last eight years or six years or four years. It feels like forever. I don't even know how long. It's been too long now, four years. For all of this, whether it's left or right, we tend to, in our lostness, make our politicians more than just mere civil servants. We tend to make them almighty saviors. And their political talking points become sort of our sacred scripture. <laughs> and their campaign running platforms, they become humanity's greatest hope. That's why there's such a volatility in the political discourse of our day. It's because terrified people in a panicked sprint are trying to find their way out of this situation. And if somebody says there may be another way that disagrees with their way, well, that's even more confusing and we feel more lost. So we freak out. And if it's not our political saviors that we follow, it's our entertainers, it's our influencers, our fitness gurus, our nutrition coaches, our fashion icons, our home designers. We, with like this addicted devotion, we are convinced that their curated Instagram lives could possibly be our lives. They could lead us to our home, or at the very least, we could live vicariously in their home as we stroll through their feeds. And to find ourselves, we make our cultural preferences 
everything. We divide from one another based on our ethnicities and our backgrounds because who we are to find ourselves has to be based on these these things that we make ultimate. Now, our ethnicities, our race, our points of origin, these are valuable and beautiful, and they are part of who we are, but they are not ultimate in all that we are and all that we do as humans. We'll follow economic philosophies or educational schools of thought. This will lead us to home, socialism, capitalism. This will lead us to a place of solace and flourishing, Epicureanism, Stoicism, whatever it may be in its reiterations in our modern day, in our modern vernacular. And I would say that in today's day, in secular America, there's like this new religion that has cropped up. It's just being called scientism. And scientists are the new priests of the ultimate arbitration of truth, science. As all the yard signs say, like I said last week, science is real. As if all of us are like, whoa, I did not know that. That's amazing. No matter who we follow, no matter whether it's our politicians, our influencers, our entertainers, however we are trying to find our way through this mess, no matter who we're following today, eventually the blind always lead the blind into pits of hopelessness. And it's when we hit rock bottom in those pits of hopelessness, where our politicians have failed us, our philosophies have not brought flourishing, our economic ideas, our education hasn't satisfied, we still feel disoriented in this world. When we hit rock bottom, the blind having been led blindly into these pits, that is usually where Jesus finds us. That's where Jesus comes and finds us. And that's what I would say where most of us at a gathering like this on a Sunday morning in urban San Diego are. Most folks that show up on a Sunday morning, we are at that place where somewhere along the line, we realized we were at the bottom of the pit. And we heard Jesus's voice, we saw the light, and we committed our lives to following him. We decided I'm going to make Jesus my centerpiece and I'm going to let him guide my life through. Historically now, We're getting to our text in just one moment. Historically, our tributary of Christianity, our tradition of Christianity, which is roughly Western Protestant evangelicalism, this tradition of Christianity historically has tended to emphasize salvation as that moment of decision to follow Jesus. Therefore, all of our discipleship traditions, they've been engineered in the Western Protestant evangelical church. The discipleship emphasis has been engineered in such a way as to get a person to pray the prayer, to decide to follow Jesus and pray him into our hearts. Now, honestly, that's a really beautiful and important part of salvation, even if the praying the prayer and praying Jesus into your heart isn't found anywhere in the Bible at all. That's okay. That's still something that is beneficial to our salvific, to our saving process from going from lost to found. But To emphasize the decision to follow Jesus at the bottom of the pit is so reductionistic when we compare, when we look at the discipleship emphases of the New Testament authors. Discipleship is indeed about a decision to follow Jesus. Moving from lost to found does require a moment of, I am going to follow Jesus. But it's more than that singular decision. It is a lifetime of decisions. Salvation, moving from lost to found, is a lifetime of decisions. 
as Jesus reveals himself and his will more and more clearly, as time goes on, as we've traveled through the gospel of John, as you've traveled through your life and your own personal journeys, Jesus continually is unveiling layers of himself and layers of his will. And those moments all require another decision and another decision and another decision to submit and surrender to who he is and where he is taking us. So that brings us to the farewell discourses where we currently are here in John chapter 14. These farewell discourses, they're the final words of Jesus to his disciples before his ascension unto the right hand of the Father. And he was preparing them to carry on his mission. He was preparing them to spread the gospel throughout the nations. And here in John chapter 14, the farewell discourses as Jesus always did with his disciples, rather than giving them more answers, he's raising more questions in their hearts and minds than he is giving answers to them. So last week we were in verses one through three. And Jesus very clearly stated, now track with this. Last week, Jesus, as clear as day, could not be any clearer, said, I am going to the Father's house. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be. Set the scene with those words. I am telling you where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. And yet, Thomas has this question. Jesus says in verses 1 through 3, John chapter 14, I am going to the Father's house, and I'm going to take you to the Father's house. Would you guys read verse 5? Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> what is going on here? That, I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I feel like this is a teacher. Like you say something so clearly, and then literally like the next question is like, what? I don't, what? This is what's going on with Thomas, and this is what's going on with us. And here's why. What lost humanity does not understand is that to be found, to come home, is actually to just be in the presence of the Father again. In other words, salvation is so much more than a place. We think of salvation as, I'm going to heaven. Jesus would say, salvation is actually a person. I'm going to be with the Father right now, where I am, physically, circumstantially located. It's hard for us to get our brain around that. It was hard for Thomas to get his brain around that. Fellas, I'm going to the Father's house. Thomas, I don't know where you're going. <laughs> why? We struggle to know where Jesus is taking us and why he makes things so clear is so confusing to us because all of us come to Jesus and we listen to Jesus, but we already have a very specific destination in our minds where we think Jesus is taking us. And so with our destination in mind, when Jesus says, I'm not taking you to a place, I'm taking you into the presence of the Father, we find ourselves saying, well, uh, I don't know where you're taking us because in my mind, you were taking me to list out your bullet points of the destination that you had in mind. We create this destination to which we think he's taking us. Or worse yet, and this is the mark of the modern cynic in the church of the United States today. Worse yet, we do understand that Jesus says, I'm taking you to be with the Father. And we're like, mm, that's not enough. I don't like that. That's what we do. And so like Thomas, we play dumb. Uh, I don't know where you're taking me. In Thomas's mind, Jesus was going to be taking them to this immediate physical deliverance from the Roman oppression. Jesus was going to be taking them to victory. 
In Thomas's mind, when Jesus says, I'm taking you to the Father's house, all Thomas can hear is, wah, 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 wah. And he also hears, I'm going to be given my ancestral homelands by the Messiah again. And so he's utterly confused. Jesus' behavior and his language was saying that he was taking Thomas and all of his disciples in a direction that they could have never imagined. And so to move from lost to being found, the process of discipleship every single day of our lives is a moment of deciding, am I really listening carefully and allowing Jesus to take me into the Father's presence right now as my ultimate destination? right here where I am. Not the destination I have in my head, not the list of bullet points, not my prescription for what I think salvation is, but the Father's presence now where I am. In my confusion, in my disorientation, in my pain, in my loss of expectations, in my blessings, in my burdens. To move from lost to found as a disciple of Jesus is to allow him to bring us into the Father's presence. And ultimately, the way he does that isn't by taking us to a place. It's by taking us to himself. Salvation is not a place. It is a person. And Jesus says as much here in verse 6. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. So poor Thomas, poor confused Thomas, I don't know where you're going. If I don't know where you're going, how, how can we get there? Jesus so gently and so carefully and so precisely says, Thomas, disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This verse, this verse is both so radically inclusive. Anyone who has come to that moment of awakening in the bottom of the pit, where you find yourself saying, I am at the bottom of the pit. I cannot find my way out of this. Anyone who comes to grips with that reality, radically, radically included by Jesus, anyone can come and say, Jesus, I'm hearing you say that you're the way and you're the truth and you're the life. There's not a single soul on this planet that he would exclude from that reality. And yet at the same time, with that radical inclusiveness is this radical exclusiveness. These are the hard, jarring words of Jesus of Nazareth when it comes to moving from being lost to being found. As the blind lead the blind, Jesus says, I am actually the truth. I define reality for you. He's saying, there is no other way home. None. There is no way back to the Father, the true destination, the true place of being found. There is no other way because Jesus would say that he's the life. He was the embodied life of the Father in the flesh. You know, think of it this way, you guys, just to kind of illustrate this. When I got lost in the mountains, the guy that found me, the guy on the four-wheeler, he literally had to become the way, the truth, and the life for me. Otherwise, I'd still be up in the woods right now, starving and dead. If he had not become the way, the truth, and the life from me, I would still be stuck there. How so? When I came around the corner and saw him, I had to put the full weight of my body onto his four-wheeler. And uh, I hated this because I'm a space guy. Perfect stranger. I had to, like, hold, hold on like this. Like, he had, I had to, like, be close to this guy. <laughs> it was awful. I had to sit on the four-wheeler right behind him, and he literally, wherever he went, whatever way he went, 
My proximity to him, my closeness to him was my only way out. He had to become the way for me. But I also simultaneously had to utterly trust that he knew the truth of my true location. He knew where I needed to be and I didn't. Do you guys realize how insane it would have been if there I am on the way, with the way, the guy on the four-wheeler, and I just start yelling at him, you know, I think that road right there may take me there. <laughs> you know, I think there's a couple different roads that might get us there. No. I literally had to let him be the way, and then I had to trust that he had the true nature of my location, and he knew how to get there. And then finally, consider this on this life piece, and I really think this is important. This fellow was just out enjoying his life with his kids and his wife, living his life, and I immersed myself into their life for that moment. That was my way out. That was my finding. That was my salvation. I literally had to intrude on their little family outing and insert myself into their family outing, their life, and their life, their activities of their life became my life that day so that now I can stand in front of you and illustrate this sermon with my ridiculous day that day. You know, it was the great missionary Leslie Newbegin, and he said this, to follow this way is, in fact, the only way to the Father. The word God has had and still has an almost infinite variety of meanings. Here, we are invited to accept the affirmation that there is but one way to come to the living God and to know him as Father, and that is by being made one with this meek and humble man who goes to the cross carrying the sin of the world. To know Jesus in this sense is to know the Father. And then Philip chimes in, verse 8. Read with me here in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. <laughs> for the disciples of Jesus, including you and I, it's so hard for us to come to rest in the place that Jesus' personage, his presence, is all we need to be found. We don't need anything else. Philip's bold question is, the exact same kind of confused question statement that we give to Jesus all the time, except we just word ours a little bit differently. Lord, if you'll just do this, then I'll believe. How many, am I the only one that's ever done that? Lord, if you'll, if you'll do that, if you'll do this in this way, then I'll know that I can totally trust you and that you're gonna totally get me out of this mess and I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. All of us, we kind of give this list of demands to God and how he ought to reveal himself to us, and then he doesn't. You know, we want a loud voice from on high. God speaks to us in the silence. And we want a form that we can see, and God instead reveals himself through sunsets and smiles, these ancient stories of a Jewish people 2,000 years ago in ancient scriptures. <laughs> what? We demand these seeable signs Paint your name in the sky and I'll know that you can lead me out of my lostness. And somehow we diminish the fact that every breath and every beat of our heart is a mark of his having created us and found us and loving us and caring for us. It's a miracle. We are walking, breathing, sentient, five-sensed miracles. And there are a trillion, trillion miracles happening right now with the fact that you can breathe in and have all of your senses engaged. This thing called life, the life has given to us. You are found right now in Jesus. And you don't need to be like Philip saying, just show me this, show me that. He's showing you right now. Breathe. Heartbeat. You're alive. You're cared for. Trust. Walk. Rest. Get on the four-wheeler. Let him take you where he's going to take you. 
You are in the presence of the Father right now. You're found. You're found. Jesus, he's always compassionate with the requests of his disciples. He never is diminishing. He gets that we are confused and lost, that we want to dictate to him how he should take us back to be, to home, wherever we've made home in our minds. I do think that our demands of God, show me this, do this, do that, and then I'll believe more and I'll obey you more clearly. I think that grieves God's heart. And the reason for that is when we do that is we are, we are dictating, we are trying to get God to take us where we think we should go in the way that we think we should get there. And that's the very definition of being lost, friends. When we go the way that we think we should go and we dictate to God how we should get there, that's the very definition of being lost. And I think Jesus is saying, verses 9 through 11, don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me, my disciple? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Guys, I told our team, teaching through the Gospel of John, every single week, you just walk away going, oh my goodness, I think we didn't even barely scratch the surface. There's so much going on here with Jesus talking about living in union with the Father as a human, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and yet he is fully one with the Father, God among us in the flesh, the grand mystery of the Trinity. There are centuries of theologians and debates and councils that unpack this glory, and so I invite you to read all of that yourselves, because we don't have time to do that here on a Sunday morning. Incredible lofty theology through the Gospel of John, but here's where I want to land the plane for us. How do we know right now? How do you know you've been found? How do you know? How can you be assured this morning that you're on the four-wheeler, that you're, you're on the way? Number one, we are with him more. Number two, we become like him. And number three, we do what he did. This is what our circle of churches, this is how we define discipleship. We are with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and we do what Jesus did. Let's follow that through our text here. In verse 12, number one, we are with him by belief. Verse 12, the very beginning of it, Jesus says, as I take you to the Father, as your politicians and your entertainers and your influencers and all the things that you seek to save you, to bring you from lost to found, as they fail you, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, in me, and I think it's just as important for disciples of Jesus to come to grips with the fact that we all day long are tempted to follow the multitudes of voices and the multitudes of paths that this lost world affords us to find a pseudo sense of being found. The process of discipleship is that over and over and over and over, every breath, every heartbeat, we find ourselves saying, I believe more deeply in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is enough. I believe that Jesus's way, Jesus's ethics, Jesus's nature, Jesus's grand plan, Jesus's love for me, Jesus's definition of who I am, not what the world says I am, not even what my own broken system within says I am, who Jesus says I am, I believe in him. And so my belief is growing. Discipleship is about becoming more and more clear that Jesus indeed is our way, Jesus indeed defines our reality, and that Jesus indeed is our life. Belief in him. 
as we do that, the things that we once were seeking for guidance, just layer by layer, they disappear, they fade in glory. And we begin to act like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And that leads to verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. As we are with Jesus more and more, believing that he is sufficient, he is enough, he is our portion, he is our satisfaction, he is our identity, he is all of these things and more, Jesus promised his disciples his last words to them and his words to us, as you believe that, you will go into the world and do the works that I did. And then he adds and you will do greater works than I did. Now, I have been meditating and thinking on this passage for years, decades now. I have read scholars and commentators and semi-dissertations on this verse. What does it mean when Jesus says, you will do greater works than I did in the world because I'm going to the Father? I have no idea. <laughs> that is a huge statement. What does that mean? I mean, scholars, they, they will talk about, well, the church will go out and it will be greater in measure because now the church is the body of Christ will spread throughout the globe. I think, that's a, I think that's a compelling interpretation. I think there's more here, though, for us to meditate on and chew on. And I don't have the answers. I feel like I'm a, a baby in meditating on this text. Jesus, what does it mean when you say, as I believe in you, as you are my way, my truth, and my life, there are greater works that you want to do through me through me, with my family, spread throughout the globe. All of those things are part and parcel. How do you know you're found? Are the works that you're seeing from your life the works of Jesus? Are you little Jesuses? It's interesting this morning. I don't want to go too much over time, but this morning in pre-gathering prayer, every Sunday, whoever's leading pre-gathering prayer will always have the teacher and the worship leaders sit in the center. And I didn't say this to the group that was here this morning, but I want to say it now. They'll have us in the center, and then they just begin praying over us, you know, anoint and, and um, just let the Spirit move through Dan and through Shua this morning, all that stuff. And this morning as we were praying, it was like I could see, like, Jesus in me as they were praying for me, and I could see Jesus in Shua as they were praying for Shua. But then all of them, the people that were praying, became Jesus. <laughs> and I just realized, like, Sunday mornings are so, we set up Sunday mornings. It's important that we do it this way, but it's only around a couple gift sets. But in fact, the Jesus that is in you wants to do works today through you as the church. And so to know that you're found is to even have the desire to do those works. And then we close with this. How are those works done? They're done in the way that Jesus did them. Through prayer, through prayer. Verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The mark of a man or a woman who's been found is they cling to Jesus in prayer. More and more prayer. Prayer in silence. Prayer in words. Prayer in solitude. Prayer in community. A constancy, the spirit of God within us, the Jesus who dwells within us, constantly communing with the Father in this intimate union, growing in that. That is a mark that you have been found by Jesus and are growing in Jesus. And so, of course, we have here, whatever you ask in my name. This is not, this is not like a promise for whatever. This, 
This doesn't mean that we dictate to Jesus what our lives should look like. The key is we are praying in Jesus' name. Said another word. In other words, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying what Jesus would pray. We're actually praying what Jesus would pray. And when we pray what Jesus would pray, it will be done. In reference to these greater works that are going to be done, in reference to the lost being found, praying in Jesus' name, our prayers more align with reality. Our prayers more align with his life in us and through us as we look to him for grace. The cross is what centers us. The cross is where we have proof positive that we have not been left alone. The cross is what reorients us to reality that indeed our lostness has wounded and broken the world and wounded and broken God himself. And so this morning, let's come to communion. We're gonna sing, we're gonna rest, we're gonna trust. Father, I just want to just give opportunity for you, Holy Spirit, to do the speaking, to do the work. You know, all of us come with these uh, points of disorientation and lostness. And I just want to thank you this morning that even in the darkest hour, even in the place of what seems the most lost place, you are able to come and able to shape and able to change and able to transform and able to guide. I pray this morning in our communion time that where we have made some other guide ultimate to us. Our political guides, our influencers, whatever models of philosophy or education or economics, we've made those ultimate today. Jesus, would you just return us to being a people of the way, a people of your truth, a people of your life, I pray that this community would be a community who, having been lost and now found, would go and search out those who are continuing down pathways of destruction. We turn our souls to you this morning in communion. We ask you to orient our lives perfectly towards you and in you. And I do pray that you, Holy Spirit, would make the Father's presence enough for us today. Father's presence, his love, right where we are, whether we know where we are or not, that we would just settle in and rest in the Father's presence. Come and meet with us as we sing and as we commune with you in Jesus' name, amen.